Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jessica Lepowski. And before we get to Jessica, I have a few announcements. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. And there you'll find photos of our guests, some stories that some of the guests have written, some stories that I've written. You can find links to the guests' social media, and you can find links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. If you can follow us on all those platforms, I would appreciate it. On our website, you can also find links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. And we're also on iHeartRadio and Spotify and basically wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe. Give us a like. Say a few nice things. Give us a good rating because that helps more people find the show and boosts our presence. That's cool of you to do, and I would appreciate it. If you think you might be right for the show as a guest, or maybe you know somebody who would be, or maybe you want to write me and ask uh, some travel questions, or maybe just tell me how great I am, (laughs) you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, everybody, we're into June. We're getting into the travel season. It's here. Kids are getting out of school. Airports are filling up. The COVID numbers are going up. I'm recording this intro on June 6th, so a little over a week before this episode comes out. And I got a big week ahead because I'm finally getting my eye fixed. Hopefully, I'm knocking on wood. Can you hear that? Knocking on wood. For those of you who know, I had eye surgery in January for a detached retina that happened when I was working on a cruise ship in Mexico. And basically all of 2022 has been me dealing with this eye issue. Because they put a CO2 gas bubble in my eye, I couldn't fly for three months. I had to spend the first couple weeks after the operation staring at the floor for 45 minutes of every hour to keep my head in position. But as the gas bubble finally went away after three months, I was left with a cataract in my eye which is common after the surgery. So it's been like looking through a fogged window. My eye's been irritated, it's dry, overly dry, too dry to do the surgery earlier. But now on June 9th, I'm getting the cataract surgery. And from all I've been told, it's not as difficult or complicated as the retina surgery. It's outpatient. It's one of the most common surgeries they do nowadays. And if I can keep it clean and not get infected, I am hoping for clear vision and not a moment too soon, if you ask me. So hopefully in the next episode, I'll have some great news for you. And I'm being an optimist on this because I have booked some travel coming up in June. I'm going back to the scene of the crime. Yes, a cruise ship. Working with a new cruise line starting on June 18th to 26th. I'll be back in the Caribbean on Celebrity. Different cruise line that I've been working. It's been mostly Holland America the last four or five years. So I'm trying Celebrity out. So if anyone's going to be on the Celebrity Equinox out of Fort Lauderdale on June 18th, you'll see me on the ship. And then after that, got a couple weeks back in Alaska on Holland America on the Koenigsdam. July 2nd through 16th. So I'm dipping my toe back in the water, so to speak. And I'm counting on my eye to be in ship shape. And after the eye is healthy, hopefully I only have to worry about COVID, which is back. Well, it never really went away. But be careful out there, folks. Continue to wash your hands. I know we've all let our guard down a little bit, but I got my second booster. I'm ready to go. And for those of us who love travel and those of us who uh, make our living by traveling, as well as live performing, this has been tough. It's been a tough couple of years. Don't have to tell you people that, but it's been real tough. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there. But this year has also taught me and many others, don't take your health for granted. Hopefully by the next episode, I'll have great news. And speaking of getting back to normal, there's an organization called Travel Massive that has chapters all over America and I think around the world of travel professionals, influencers, and people who just enjoy travel who get together in various meetup groups or networking groups, that kind of thing. And I went to a number of these meetups pre-pandemic. And met a lot of people through them. And a lot of guests of this show I met through Travel Massive. And of course, COVID put the brakes on these meetups for a couple of years. But there was a get-together recently in Los Angeles for the uh, LA group of Travel Massive, where some representatives for Germany tourism were in town. And they had a little meeting at, where else? A brewery. So it was kind of a small turnout. It was uh, during the week. 
It was way down in Torrance, which is kind of near LAX airport, so a little tough to get to for most people, but I decided to check it out, and I'm glad I did, because there I met Jessica Lepowski, who lives not too far from me. She's down in Marina del Rey, and when I say she lives in Marina del Rey, I mean in the marina. She lives on a boat with her fiancé, and she told me her story about how she's originally from Michigan and lived in Amsterdam for a number of years. She had just returned from hiking to the peak of Mount Kilimanjaro, where her fiancé proposed to her. Very dramatic. Man, I just posed for photos at the top. This guy went all out. Anyway, along with hiking mountains, she also is a yoga instructor. She is a skydiver, so super active and adventurous. She's also an author. She wrote a book called Flavors of Life, which is about her time in Amsterdam meeting chefs and restaurant owners who were all immigrants who came to this huge melting pot of Amsterdam. And we talk about that for a little bit. And we talk about a lot of other stuff. So it was a pleasure to finally meet somebody in person for the first time, just like the old days. What is this, 2019? But it was great to meet her and I enjoyed our chat. So direct from her boat in the marina, here's Jessica Lepowski. You know, we only live like a couple miles from each other. I, I guess I could have done this in person. Well, I'm waving from nearby Marina Del Rey. You live on a boat full time on a sailboat? Yes. Yeah, we live on a 36 foot sailboat. You and your husband, partner? Yes, partner, fiance. Okay, yes, fiance. We're going to get to that uh, <laughs> that moment in a little bit. But uh, how long has this uh, ship life been happening? I've been on the boat for two years and he has been on the boat for three and a half years or so. I have so many questions about Marina Del Rey. Having lived in Los Angeles for you know over 25 years, I didn't know anybody who owned a boat. And it's weird no? because I have family in Florida and in Florida, everyone either owns a boat or knows somebody with one. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so- yeah. What is it about, even though there's so many more people here, is it the sheer cost of the boat or the dock fees or anything like that is why, or maybe just because the water is colder and rougher in the Pacific that people just don't, it's not like a boating community out here as it is, say, in other parts of the country, in the world. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure why that is. Um, it might be those factors that you mentioned. For us in particular, Alec, my fiance, is a professional sailor, and he works on boats, races on boats, all things sailing all the time. So okay. that's the connection for us. But yeah, I think it might be overall accessibility into boating life. Yeah, I have. Uh, I should correct myself. There was a one guest last year, Brian Souders, who. Uh, I've stayed in contact with. He has a place, he has a boat down in Redondo Beach. But you two are the only ones that I know. He ah. just got, he just bought it and has been fixing it up. But you actually live on it. He's not living on his yet. You're actually living on it. So when you live on a boat, I, cause I, I ride my bike down there all the time and I see all those houseboats that never leave. Right. Yeah. So ours is actually a sailboat. I mean, okay. we can, we can take it out. Um, it's it, mobile. It, it is mobile. We, we don't take it out because we have lots of other people with boats. Uh, there's plenty of boats we have access to. But yes, we do have the option to take it out. What was the last trip you took on the boat? Uh, I, have, I have not taken this boat out uh, because, you know, we just have so many other people that we sail with, whether it's racing or uh, leisurely trips to Catalina. So um, some friends of ours usually take their boat. It's bigger, more space for guests. So um, yeah, so we take out their boat. <laughs> Having worked on ships and uh, been on small boats, and I can say, uh, falling asleep on a boat is very relaxing, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's just it's so soothing, and and we don't get big waves here in the marina because we're protected. We're inside the marina, but you know, every once in a while, when there's a big storm or high winds, you know, small craft advisories. We've had a lot of those lately. You do feel some rocking. Did the seals wake you up? No, thankfully they're not near our boat. Um, <laughs> they can be loud. <laughs> yes, they can be very loud and a huge nuisance. I mean, I've seen people get trapped on their boats because seals are on the dock and they can't get off. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I saw guys shooing them off the, off the dock all the time. They'll just pick a spot and then they'll just you know take it over. Yep. 
Yep. Yep. <laughs> and they don't smell great if you're downwind from them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they like the fresh saltwater air. <laughs> yeah. How old is this uh, boat you're on? This is a 1969 Columbia. Wow. So it's uh, seen some some action. It has. I heard that uh, one of the previous owners had taken it up to Alaska, and oh. I'm not entirely sure of its backstory. Um, but yes, it's it's definitely seen parts of the world. <laughs> okay, so where are you from, and what was your uh, boating experience before you met? Uh, what's your what's your fiance's name? Alec. Alec. Before you met Alec, were you a, a, a boat person, or just like eh, you dabble in it? Uh, I would say I dabbled. I grew up actually on power boats, so I'm from Michigan. From the ah. Detroit area. Yeah. So we have the Great Lakes and my dad had a power boat when I was growing up. So we did little trips down rivers and on Lake St. Clair. We even went underneath the Mackinac Bridge. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah it was, it was super fun, but uh, I never thought I would get into sailing <laughs> and I'm still not an avid sailor. So let's, let's be very clear. I leave the sailing to Alec, but um, yeah. So I like the Detroit area. I'm from Chicago, so I used to work up there all the time. So it's like everybody's, uh, I'm from the area. So let yeah. me guess. Uh, what do you got? You got your Novi, you got Gross Point, you got, uh, what is the Grand Blank? I remember being into, where, where are you from? Yeah. So I'm actually from Troy. Troy, but, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Troy, which is uh, just north of Detroit. And my dad, was in Rochester Hills, and now my mom is in Northville, so close to Novi that you mentioned. Sure. And my dad moved down to, to Florida, but yeah, I'm actually I was born in well, I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in Cross Point Woods. Okay, very nice. Did when did you make your way out to California? So I came out here in 2017. So actually, in uh, two weeks, it's my five year anniversary living oh, in LA. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I came from Amsterdam before that. I was in Amsterdam for six years uh, before coming to LA. Okay. What were you doing in Amsterdam? Just working and living. I moved (laughs) there. (laughs) Yeah, I moved there in 2011. I was looking, you know, I'd always wanted to move to Europe. It was always a dream of mine. I told my mom and I was 10 years old. The first time we went to London, Uh, I said, I'm going to move here. And like every supportive parent they're like all right sure (laughs) and well my parents were like yeah yeah, okay sure they they say sure but they didn't really believe you like i want to move to california like sure you will okay yeah yep Uh yeah but then in subsequent trips you know i wanted to every time i went back to europe i wanted to move and finally i worked for uh a web development company in michigan and a lot of the interns there were from other countries. And so I said, if they're living their dream, why can't I? So in 2000, February, 2011, I found a job in Amsterdam and I ended up moving. Oh, okay. So that was that your first time? Well, obviously it's your first time living out of the country. Was that your, even your first time living out of Michigan? I had spent two summers living in Washington, DC, uh, during my time in university for an internship. Uh, so but yes, first time living out of the country. Okay. So um, I, you said you had traveled a little bit around Europe and stuff like that. What was the difference that uh, really hit you when you went to live in Europe as opposed to just visiting? What was your big adjustment? Uh, well. I, Not having a dryer? I, I, well, <laughs> uh, I think I – think, um, well, yeah, not having a dishwasher was dishwasher. One of them. Yeah, there's the other yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, dishwasher was a big one. But mm-hmm. just I, the for the first two weeks when I was there, I lived in a small village, and no one spoke English, and so it was a huge culture shock. That you know, I would try to order something simple uh, and and pick up something simple, and I and no one understood me, or you have to point and make hand gestures and. Even yeah. even in Holland too, right? Because uh, it's odd because they speak it so well and they learn it in school. Yeah. And so this was in a small village. But then yeah, when you, I moved yeah. to Utrecht, I was in Utrecht for one year, which is in the center of the country, and then spent five years in Amsterdam. And, you know, at that point in the bigger cities, everyone spoke English. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, when you're trying to learn Dutch, 
and you want to speak Dutch, then they immediately hear your accent and they switch over. And it took about a year to a year and a half before people stopped switching over. Oh, great. So you you picked up Dutch pretty well? Yeah, I'm, I'm fluent. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I work I, Holland America lines all the time. Oh. And, uh, so I meet a lot of uh, Dutch people. And I always say, you can always tell the Dutch people on board because they're the ones that are taller than you and speak better English. <laughs> I, I I love Dutch people. I think they're so beautiful, men and women, and they're just always beautifully dressed. It doesn't have to be high end or super fancy, but they just look so put together all the time. <laughs> I, I can appreciate their style. <laughs> what did you miss the most? Because I, I interviewed, uh, interviewed a few people on here, and I know some some people that moved to uh, the Netherlands, and. Uh, for them, you know, the food was kind of rough. Not known for the Dutch are not known for their cuisine, <laughs> so it's uh, they got a little uh, homesick. Certainly for Mexican food, that's one thing they miss all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd say the big thing for me was food. I, yeah. I love. <laughs> I, I never really cared for Kraft mac and cheese before that, but just oh, no. wanting. <laughs> just wanting Kraft mac and cheese because it was something <laughs> from home. Um, yeah, I guess the food. I, I I personally really like Dutch food. I love birbala and croquettes and uh, the frites. And you putting mayonnaise on your French fries now? Oh yes, oh yes. I still do. I still do. You still do. Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, in terms of uh, living there, so around 2011, I mean that was when you know after the financial crash and all that stuff mm -hmm. did you see uh was it pretty cheap to live there at the time or was it you know kind of like here just kind of bouncing back from everything um that's a great question because i was just out of college everything felt expensive yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> right i gotta pay for uh, my own stuff now boo i gotta yeah. work boo <laughs> yeah so no i mean honestly um, it was definitely more expensive than, let's say, Michigan. Now yeah. coming to California, <laughs> I mean, now coming to California, I'm realizing that the cost of living was comparable to oh, yeah. to yeah. California minus housing, because housing, I feel like, was still a little more affordable in Amsterdam, except for buying a house. Buying a house is a whole process in the Netherlands. So, Right. So was it uh, always in your mind kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this for a while and then come back to the U.S.? Or did you have a plan to like, ne next I want to live in Spain or another country or something like How did it all shake down? Well, originally I was planning to go for a year or two, but at my previous company, I was already applying for jobs. And at my previous company, I ended up dating a Dutch guy. Mm -hmm. And so I was already planning on moving, but it just so happened that we started dating. So I ended up staying a lot longer than I expected. Aha. Uh -huh. Now the plot thickens. <laughs> Got it. Okay. But this is not uh, Alec then? No, no. Okay. This was, no, this was uh, my ex. We dated for six years. And after I uh, published my book, we ended up splitting. And when we split, you know, I was thinking about where do I want to go next? Do I want to stay? I was able to stay if I wanted to, but do I stay or do I go? And I was exploring all different cities around the world. And I thought, what do I really want? And I wanted to be near the mountains and the ocean. I wanted a job to stay in publishing. I wanted to travel and I wanted to make a difference. And uh, LA was never on my radar but my cousin ended up working for the company that I work for now and said, you need to check out this organization. I think you'd be a great fit. And it's in Thousand Oaks, just north of LA. Mm -hmm. So you're in uh, publishing. What is, you're still in publishing then? I'm still in publishing, but uh, this time I'm in, I'm in academic publishing. So I manage science and medical journals for Sage Publishing. And we publish journals and textbooks, but I work in the journals division. Okay. Uh, what was the book you wrote? Uh, my book was called Flavors of Life. It's about 62 people from around the world. They all ended up in Amsterdam with a restaurant. So it's about who they are, where they come from, and how they ended up in one of the most diverse cities in the world. Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, it was just 
from just going out and meeting the restaurant owners from all over, all these expats, and you were like, there's a book in this? Well, so uh, there's a backstory. Of course, there always is, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I used to work for an online platform uh, to help facilitate group travel and event planning. So I did that for two years, and then I worked for USA Today writing about Amsterdam. And then it got me thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to all these different restaurants, writing reviews, and I said, we always read about the food or the restaurant ambiance, but we never learn about the person that actually started the concept. So I thought, maybe there's something here. And I did a bunch of research. There's, you know, one or two books that have been published on that. It's, it's, now there's been a few more, but I really wanted to focus on that story. Um, not just the chef. Sometimes it's the chef. Sometimes it's chef and owner. But in this case, I wanted to focus on the owner uh, and their story. And, and actually, uh, Amsterdam is, has, is home to 180 nationalities. So depending on the timing and the source, it is sometimes the most diversity in the world. Uh, you can argue that New York is right up there um, in some other cities. But yeah. Wow. So um, in doing this, you, uh, I mean, you're part of that diversity you know you're from somewhere else yep. um did you ever feel like maybe i know some of the locals do that sometimes like too many people from other places kind of takes the local character away from a city did you start to find that you was and that if things are gentrified too much they start looking alike you know one city starts looking like another did it, yeah, that, did it manage to retain its character? I mean, it'll always have the canals and everything like that, but... No, I can definitely appreciate that perspective, and that's a great question. I think that I think that it still maintains its, its Dutchness. Um, I actually interviewed Dutch people as well for the book, so making sure to include <laughs> their story. Um, and a lot of times it, it came from those cross-cultural connections. So... I think just going to pause and reflect here. I think that that diversity is one thing that really sets Amsterdam in particular apart. And yet you can still go to Fabo and find the, the uh, croquettes in the walls where you put the corner into the slot, open up a little door in the wall and pull out your, your bitter ball of croquette um, and still see people biking. But I think you really have a lot of people embracing that Dutch culture, even if they're from another country. Uh, well, I was in Amsterdam the last time I was there. It was the morning after the Brexit vote in England that oh. you know, that no one thought would happen. And it was really shocking, you know, <laughs> to see the reaction because, you know, most of the countries in Europe and a lot of my friends have been in London, of course, they were like, ah, this is never going to happen. Yeah. And they voted for it. So um, it was a big kind of shockwave. I mean, do you still, uh, were you there when that went, you must've been there when that went down and, you know, all, all in the papers the next day was like, Oh, are we next? And that kind of thing. You know, they really thought the EU is you know, going to start to dissolve. Um, and it may, yeah. who knows? I mean, it just, uh, it's a very tenuous thing, right? I mean, I don't know. What was the reaction there? Do you, did you get involved think, in that much? Uh, I was not involved in that particularly, but I do remember reading about it. I think everyone was kind of shocked that it happened. Um, I mean, no one really thought it would, would happen. So, um, yeah, th I don't have much more to add than what you've already said. Well, what, is, like, what are we going to do with all these uh, British uh, bachelor parties oh. Oh, <laughs> coming man. over and getting hammered in uh, Amsterdam on the weekend? And there's still oh, a lot man. of that, too. I, I still saw oh, yeah. a lot of that, which was kind of a bummer. It seemed a lot more fun when I was 21, and then I was back there. I was like, ah, I got to avoid these douchebags. Yeah, well, so that's <laughs> – I always – I completely agree. The red, the, that red light district area of the city is actually one of the oldest and most beautiful places in the city. But, again, at night, you get all of the, the, yeah. the, the bachelor parties, and that ruins the vibe. I think the funniest uh, juxtaposition is you see a church – a child daycare and a red light on one corner. And so I just, <laughs> I think yeah. that's one of the funniest spots in the city. But I'm a, yeah, I remember the first time I went there, it was, you know, so long ago and it was out of college. 
and you know backpacking around and you gotta see Amsterdam. And nowadays, where like weed is legal in half of America, and there's dispensaries all over, it's just like going back now. It's like, oh, this is you know, it does all the sin of it has kind of been taken away. It's like, oh, this is not that you know. I mean, it's still a lot of sin if you can find it, right? And it's easy to find, but it's certainly not shocking anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think people always found it hard to believe. I've never smoked marijuana and they're like, how did you live in Amsterdam for six years and never, yeah. <laughs> and never smoke? But as you Self-control. know, some, <laughs> well, just doesn't interest me, but, and there's yeah. nothing against it. I have nothing against it. Just not something that interests me, but, and <laughs> as you know, there's so many other things to do in the city, yeah. especially once you get outside of the red light district. Did you, um, become a big time bicyclist did you are you oh, uh, yes. do you cycle everywhere now still i so i don't have a bike here uh which i do need to get one because now that i live in marina del rey biking is the way to go as you know on the west side of la yeah but yes i love biking everywhere i mean i would bike <laughs> between uh between 6 and 15 kilometers in a day when I was living there, either to and from work or to conduct these interviews for my bu- my book, I just that's what you do. You cycle yeah. everywhere. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool. I remember seeing the uh, the uh, bike paths with the with the stoplights, like mm-hmm. bicycle stoplights. That always, yeah, I thought was really cool. <laughs> the little I tiny miniature stoplights. I love those. I miss that. I think that you know we can really learn a lot from the Dutch in in that regard, especially in places like LA where it doesn't yeah. snow. <laughs> yeah, the greatest weather here and no one and everybody's in a car. It's just like yeah. having grown up in Chicago, it's just like, wait a minute, you can bike all year round here. You can do anything all year round here and people are still like, you know, yeah, yeah. we didn't uh uh plan this city too well. No. Let's be honest. But um okay, uh, the one quick one last thing and then we'll get off of uh, uh Holland. The um uh what part of Holland should we Go to. I keep calling it Holland. Can we say that? The Netherlands seems so wordy. So it's all kind of acceptable, isn't it? Or isn't it? It's all acceptable. If you want to get specific, Holland is actually the North Holland and South Holland provinces. So Amsterdam is in North Holland. Mm. And then there are, oh boy, now I need to test my memory, 13 Dutch provinces in total that comprise the Netherlands. So yes, but most people just say Holland. Yeah. Uh, I know. It's uh, I. I always uh, correct myself. I was in. I visited a friend in Maastricht. So that was. I was going to say one of the cities I would recommend is Maastricht, uh, okay. down south. It's very uh, different than the rest of the Netherlands. Um, Utrecht holds a very special place in my heart, and I think it's a nice alternative to uh, Amsterdam. Um, if you want to go to the Flower markets. Uh, you want to look at um, the Kekenhof, which is open end of March through beginning of May. And a must-see. The, you have all the tulips and it's beautifully designed. What um, about time of year? Do you go with so- shoulder seasons like uh, spring and fall? or? I, I personally too- like spring and fall the best right. um, for that country. But if you want sunshine, <laughs> it's summer. We, we yeah. always joke that summer is one month in the country, <laughs> but no, I mean, spring and fall right. um, are really good times of year to visit. You get a lot of rain up there. Yes, we do. Hmm. Yeah. That's one, That's actually one of the reasons why I left. I mean, started to bum you out. Yeah. A little. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it would be comparable to maybe to the Seattle weather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get it. Um, okay. So you leave there, you come back here. And uh, I don't know, where'd you meet Alec? We actually met on a dating app. We met on... What? Uh, yes. I, that works? <laughs> it works? It works. It works. And uh, actually, one of my girlfriends set up my app, set up the app for me, and <laughs> set up a profile for me. And I ended up meeting him that way. Our very first date was going out on a C-15, which is a Coronado 15. It's a 15-foot sailboat with a trapeze on the front. So uh, it's a two-person. Hey, look, uh, how, how you two, uh, what you do in your privacy is your own. 
<laughs> well, this is it's it's a cool boat. I'll have to find a picture to send you after. But a trapeze? Why is there yes. a trapeze on the boat? It helps level it out. So the the person uh, forward, so up front in the boat, hooks into a trapeze into a harness and hangs off the side of the boat to help level it out and make it go faster. So that was our first date. Okay. <laughs> And then, well, from there, the rest is history, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but we've we've uh, we've been on many different adventures in the past. We've been together two years now. We've been on several adventures. I even went to go pick him up. I did a road trip up the coast a month after dating him to go pick him up from a sailboat delivery in Friday Harbor, Washington, and then we drove back down together and 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 took our time and. I said, you know, well, if we can live on a boat and we can do cross-country road trips and yeah, climb a tight, mountain together. <laughs> those are tight quarters. Those are tight. Uh, is, is that his profession? Is he like in the boating industry or something? He is. That is his profession. So his main line of work is in uh, sailboats, like racing boats. So the oh. boats. So he sails to Cabo, Puerto Vallarta. He does Transpac to Hawaii. And then uh, he works on those types of boats, maintains them, uh, helps install new sails, you name it. And then also delivers those boats. So when you race over to Transpac, someone needs to bring the boat back to LA. So he right. does those type of deliveries as well. Uh, is he American? He is. He's from Ohio. Another Midwest boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Michigan versus Ohio. This is, I, I see a house divided here. He didn't it go is. to Ohio State, did he? He did not. He oh, did whew. not. Okay. Good. Thank God. <laughs> I could cause tension in the home. It it, it has, you know. It, <laughs> it, it but has. it's okay. That's funny. <laughs> uh, okay, so you guys got engaged recently on Kilimanjaro, didn't you? We did. That's we did. Cool. Okay, so my friend in Maastricht, who I I know him because he was in my Kilimanjaro group. Oh. <gasps> That's incredible. Uh, yeah, I was uh, he, him and his girlfriend, uh, then girlfriend, they went up there and he did something at the top of Kilimanjaro as well. He buried his father's ashes oh. up there. He spread his father's ashes up uh, at the top. And I, uh, he asked me to help video it. So I wow. shot the video while he spread his father's ashes, who had recently died that, uh, that year. So something about climbing the top of a mountain makes people do things. <laughs> yeah monumental you know because it's a big deal when did you it hike is. it uh, we did that in october so okay. uh we did the lamosho route which is seven days total and uh yeah but <laughs> when he proposed it was uh, we got to the top and we're taking pictures and then i walk away from the sign i know we were exchanging stories i walked away from the sign and he's like wait wait, wait come back but then he kind of was you know of course you've done it you know you're tired you're yeah. oxygen deprived and so he just got down on one knee and like opened up this box and you're he like starts, is it a snack because I'm starving <laughs> well he starts fumbling around he's like I, I love you and and I was just like oh yay because you know of course you're down on one knee I just was like yes 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 well we got to the bottom of the mountain and I said wait did you actually ever say will you marry me he goes I don't think I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, he was oxygen deprived too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, that's the thing when you you finally do it, you're up there and there's that big moment, and people are hugging and crying, and you know, and taking photos and everything. And then all of a sudden, that moment, you stop and go, "Oh crap, we got to go back down now." Yep. <laughs> like, oh man. I mean, it's a relief, but then you got to go. Oh right, now I got a long yep. day ahead. And you're already yeah. tired and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be brutal. Yeah. <laughs> but Which route did you do? I did the um, the one with the, the shelters, the, the huts. Right. Yeah. Which was five days, which many think is uh, probably too fast. Uh, we never took an acclimatization day. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm one. There was 12 of us. One of one guy didn't make it to the top he got some altitude uh, sickness and yeah i think i had some but didn't know it until like days later when i'm you know i immediately went to zanzibar afterwards oh and right to recover kind of this and uh i kind of felt 
I, it wasn't just tired. You know, I felt like hungover. You know, this is like this isn't a normal kind of muscle fatigue or something. Uh, I just kind of felt like, you know, I was just dragging my ass around all day. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I'm going to lay, lay by the pool for a couple of days. So I think maybe I, you know, pushed it a little hard. And the altitude didn't hit me hard until about uh, 15,000 feet. That's when it, that's when right. it got me. You did the uh, route where you had to camp, right? I mean, you had to set up your own camps and things like that. And what was your hiking experience before you did this? Uh, yes. So we did our route. We had to set up camps. We stayed in tents. Our tents were fantastic. Uh, I'm now trying to recall the name of the gear, like the, the, the tent itself, but it's all uh, four season here it was fantastic and this one was some of the best i'm gonna have to find the name for you because it was top notch um but yeah so we did the camping and we had uh there were two of us we signed up for a group hike but (laughs) no one else ended up joining so it just became a private uh climb and we had 11 people uh two guides um, and, uh, and, and, and numerous porters. porters and a cook. Yeah, porters and a cook. Uh, so I can't believe how, how big was the group was supposed to be. Well, I, I think that basically they 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 decide based on the number of people that sign up. So if there were three, four, five, six people, there would be more porters and right. more guides and what have you as yeah. the group expands. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I, I I would think that. With so few people, they might just cancel it. You know what I mean? It just I, I, uh, is it. Um, I wonder if crowds are down now because of COVID and, and like people yes. are traveling less. I mean, they must have been thankful for any kind of business because I mean, their whole, yeah. whole economies are based on this. Uh, yeah, they were they were yeah. definitely hurting. So we went in October 2021, and business is definitely down due to COVID. Um, I mean we had a great experience and we were beyond grateful for our guides and the whole crew that we had with us. I actually still talk to both the guides and the chef on a semi-regular basis via WhatsApp and Instagram. So uh, just a great crew. And, and, and I mean, but it felt like a 1920s expedition where everything you'd get to your next campsite, everything would be set up. They had a snack waiting for you and some tea. They, prepared all the meals. They had a, a nice warm water t- for washing in the morning and the evening. And it, it felt really luxurious. And you got to focus on doing your task of, of walking up this mountain. So you go from living literally at sea level to yeah. and, and living <laughs> in one of the flattest countries in the world in the Netherlands, which is quite often below sea level. <laughs> And then you go hike the biggest mountain in Africa. Yeah. You got to decide where, where do you want to be? What's going on there? Do you, what was your hiking experience before that? Had you done any high altitude stuff? So I've done, uh, I, you know, I hike on a semi-regular basis out here in LA. Uh, we did a six day, we did a 55 mile, five and a half day backpacking trip from Mammoth to Yosemite the year before. Um, Actually, in September, I was at the Mammoth Yoga Festival for a week. Uh, so I was at uh, 8,000 feet at that point. Um, and I've done lots of camping and uh, smaller hikes over the course of my life, but definitely nothing like Kilimanjaro. So I did a lot of training. I did a lot of running, stairs, um, Pilates, different high-intensity interval training routines. That's, but that's something I love to do anyway. So I was yeah. doing that semi-regularly already. I mean, I always tell people, I mean, the, the good thing about Kilimanjaro, it's not uh, a technical climb. I mean, there's no ropes right. or anything like that involved. You don't need any high um, specialized training or anything like that. It's just uh, you should be in decent shape. You know, a lot of people, you see some people out there like, oh, boy. I mean, yep. uh, you haven't gotten off the couch in a while. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, don't make it. You know, it's yep. hard. And people die up there. Yep. They don't talk about it that much, but people do die up there, you know, regularly. Yep. Yep. Uh, and altitude, and- altitude hits every everyone differently yes. as well. 
And, and I mean, you see people that are in great shape and altitude will still affect them yeah. and they, they're still not able to make it. So it's not always uh, the best indicator that someone will no. or will not make it. But being in good shape uh, never hurts. Yes, it, that is <laughs> it never it hurts. In these. <laughs> um, did you at least did you um, what part of the hike did you think was that surprised you? Was there something there that you didn't expect or that you didn't handle as well or handled it better than you thought you would? Um, I think the unexpected part was summit day. I mean, I I trained, so I was physically training every day, but I really didn't read anything about doing Kilimanjaro. I just focused on training, diet, you know, all of those aspects. And so summit day, I didn't realize that you start at midnight and you start at midnight, it's pitch dark and you're going up, what is it? 3.1 miles and 4,000 feet of elevation gain on summit day. And, and you're just like, that was daunting. Yeah. I mean, we, we did fine, but it was daunting. That was definitely the most challenging. Yeah. And you're doing it on you know, our last camp was about 15,000 feet. And they woke us up at mm-hmm. like 11 o'clock to get ready to leave at midnight. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you sleep, but I wasn't, you know, I couldn't fall asleep. Really, I got maybe two hours of sleep before doing this incredibly hard day. Yep. Because you're, 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 you put on your headlamps and your cold weather stuff and you just zigzag up this mountain all yep. day. And, and by the time the dawn comes and it's morning, you're finally getting to the peak. I think I got yep. there at about, and probably you did, maybe about 7, 7.30 in the morning. Yep. Yeah, we got there at seven. <laughs> yeah. And um, and this is all done on two hours sleep. You're tired. Oh, and then yep. now you got to get back down. And it's like sliding. At one point, I slid down on my butt because it's such soft. Yeah, that's free or whatever. That, that stuff. Yeah, that's really hard. And you're just you're burning out your your quads yep. going. down. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a hard day. Yeah, that's actually one thing I've been focusing on. I've always had challenges going downhill. Not okay, not big challenges. Let's let's rephrase that. Yeah. Well, um, it can be harder on your knees going down. Yes. Yeah. And so that's something I've been trail running a little bit more and I've been focusing on the downhill. And I that's actually helped me a lot. I do want to do more technical climbs here in the future and um yeah, so it's been fun seeing on areas that I can improve and where I excel and altitude. I've never really had a huge challenge with altitude. I've been very lucky and it kind of was reaffirmed on this trip. Um, so I have that going for me, but it doesn't mean I'm immune to <laughs> right. that going forward in the future. Uh, did you guys tie in like a safari or any other travel with it? We did. We actually did an eight day self-drive safari after the climb and we actually took, so we didn't have a guide with us, but for the first two days, we took our climbing guide. He was certified in safari as well. And he just rode along with us. And we dropped him off at a friend's house at night um, as we were going for the first two days. And he kind of gave, showed us the ropes of how to speak with the government and get into all the different parks. And then after, uh, after Lake Minyara, we uh, parted our own ways. And we went on to the Serengeti. So we did Tarangire, uh, Lake Manyara, and then Serengeti and Nagorogoro Crater. Yeah. And then we ended at Lake Yassi. But it was wonderful having that freedom uh, of being in our own vehicle. No, that's great. I mean, how was the, how was the driving? I hope it was a four by four. It was a four by four. You <laughs> yeah. are, especially in Serengeti and Nagorogoro, you're required to have that to even get in. Uh, some mm-hmm. of the other parks allow you to have a RAV4 or all-wheel drive type vehicles. But this... Uh, Do you have a Land we, Cruiser? We did. We yeah. did. <laughs> so Alec actually drove the entire time. He was a champ because I <laughs> don't know how to drive a stick. Oh, <laughs> how convenient for you. You got out of that one. <laughs> well, but I was in charge of all the navigation and spotting right. and making sure that we're going the right place. Um, and I mean, especially once you're in the parks, all the guides are so fantastic. They stop you and they'd be like, Hey, we saw some lions just around the corner, go this way, this way, this way, or, um, go to this pool and you'll see a bunch of hippos. And so everyone was really 
fantastic. We actually, this was, we actually got the truck stuck and um, the, we were taking this migration route and it's, it's a hundred percent an approved trail um, and route on the maps. Everyone knows about it. So we did this whole circuit and we were crossing riverbeds all day. We were looking out for the right things and we get to the halfway point and the trail starts to disappear. And, you know, we kept deciding, you know, should we keep going? Should we turn around? And we're like, all right, if we go, we'll go five more minutes. If we can't find the trail, we'll just turn right back around, retrace our steps. We end up finding the path, but that second half of the circuit on and off all day, you kind of kept losing the trail. But <laughs> again, Alec was doing a great job. We had been crossing different rivers throughout the day. We were about a mile from the next turnoff and we got stuck in this riverbed and it was bad. It was really bad. We were, we got really stuck and we tried everything to dig ourselves out to Alec has a lot of experience um, just with all different vehicles. And he's certified in, um, wilderness medicine and he, oh, he's an eagle scout so he, he has a lot of different <laughs> backpacking experience he fixed it with his uh his, his swiss army knife i wish i wish <laughs> well so as the day goes on you know we're we're like oh you know are we settling in here for a couple of days i mean no one is driving down this route no one no one and finally, our VHF radio was too far out of range from any other vehicle. So it's starting to get toward the end of the day. It's about five o'clock or so. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we need to see if we can use our DeLorem. We have a DeLorem, which is owned by Gar uh, Garmin. Okay. And you have an SOS feature on it. And we decided to, to use the SOS feature for assistance. They ended up dispatch and I ended up getting in touch with this automotive garage in the Serengeti, which mind you, we're in Tanzania. This is not uh, a very uh, there's a garage in the Serengeti. Yes, but mind you, it's very uh basic. I mean they've right. got you know a little lift and the some guys were <laughs> yeah. So they end up calling them up and they get on their VHF radio, give the guys our coordinates and say, Hey, who's the closest vehicle? And all of a sudden this vehicle comes speeding up to us, like maybe 45 minutes later with filled with American tourists. And they ended up towing us out of this riverbed and <laughs> <laughs> came to our rescue. And then they, you know, sped off and did their thing. And we ended up making it back. You are uh, legally required to be at a camp before yeah. it's dark. And we made it just at the cutoff. I mean, mm. <laughs> we were speeding back through trying to, uh, it was very stressful in the moment. We all, like we remain calm. We work together. We make a great team, but it was definitely stressful in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you at least tip the drivers? <laughs> well, they, they, they went off too fast and, and they even said they're like yes this is a route and no this happens all the time even to us like even to guides oh, okay so it wasn't something that we did wrong you didn't wander um, off the path like you know no oh, no we didn't good. do yeah it wasn't something that alec did wrong and and apparently it happens to these guys all the time and they tow each other out <laughs> i don't know if you could blame alec for this i believe someone else was doing the navigation <laughs> It's well, I mean, we both looked at it. Like, <laughs> okay. we both, I can't I'm blame him. You. No, I can't blame him. Like, we both no. looked at the river and we're like, this looks like the best place to cross. We both confirmed it. We've been you doing that all day. You didn't see any predators circling you, did you? Or are there some crocodiles or hippos or uh, anything else? There was a giraffe not too far away. Oh, and there well, those was some are great. zebra. There were some zebras not too far away either, but I was like, ooh, you know, but he was at one point he was digging and I was like, mm, scanning around looking for lions. Yeah. Or... <laughs> right. <laughs> it was pretty wild. <clears throat> yeah. The zebras and the giraffes are not the ones you worry about. Yeah. We actually, we had a hippo uh, dart out in front of us with a baby and we're, we're you know, immediately ooh. we're shaking. We're like, where are the rest of the hippos? But there were not any others. It was yeah. a mom crossing, going to another part of the river and well, yeah. I guess you know, people don't realize hippos kill 
more than more people than any of them. Yep. I <laughs> they're really aggressive. Yeah. And people don't realize it. You know, they're all worried about other other animals and they go, oh, no, these hippos. Yeah, uh, they're very territorial and they'll they'll come after you. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, that wasn't, you know, Al, this hippo came out of a bush out of nowhere. We weren't driving fast or anything. Yeah. It wasn't. But yeah, it's those things that you just have to be aware of as you're driving. Right. Was that your first trip to Africa? No, I had done a safari in 2014 with my mom, my aunt, and my cousin. We did South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Botswana, but we did a guided safari. We weren't on our own. <laughs> right, right. Um, could you, how close to Dutch is Afrikaans? And I mean, I mean, it's Dutch based. I mean, I guess they're, I think they said they're, it's, is it like 75% similar, something like that? I don't know the percentage. It's very similar. It's more, almost more basic version mm-hmm. of Dutch. Um, but yeah, it's very similar. Um, I don't know the exact percentage, but I can understand, you know, people are talking Afrikaans and I can understand, or I could speak in Dutch and people will kind of understand me. Right. Oh, man. Well, congratulations on your uh, engagement. Thank you. We didn't talk about your, uh, I forgot you're a yogi. I am. I am. Okay. You uh, do stand up paddleboard yoga in the marina, right? I've seen people do that. And I haven't yeah. done it. I've paddleboarded in the marina. I've rented a paddleboard and that's, that's fun. But, and while I was doing it, I saw a class out there in the arena, people yep. doing yoga on the boards and you might've been teaching it for all I know. <laughs> no, it probably wasn't me. No, I'm certified. I'm, I've done the teacher training and mm-hmm. I, I haven't started teaching there yet. Um, just with other commitments in life and working on improving. Um, but no, I do it regularly. Uh, I, I actually found it when I came out to LA five years ago, I, I was part of the girls who hike LA Facebook group and they had a paddleboard meetup. And then when we were paddleboarding, same as you, I saw this group of people doing yoga on the paddleboards. I was like, I don't know who that is or what they're doing, but I want to do that. <laughs> and I actually, I had never done a headstand on land. I learned how to do a headstand first on a paddleboard. Oh, really? Even <laughs> during, during your whole uh, yoga training and everything, all that on land, you, you never did a headstand? Well, so I, I actually did my yoga teacher training later. Oh, so okay. I, I did, I did a little bit of yoga and I did a lot of Pilates. Ah, and then right. when I moved out here, I got more into yoga through stand up paddleboard yoga. Then I did my, <laughs> then I did my stand up paddleboard yoga teacher training, but I still had to do my 200 hour. And so I ended up doing my 200 hour and now I'm certified to teach stand up paddleboard yoga, Hatha yoga, what I call land yoga and aerial <laughs> yoga with the hammock. Aerial yoga. That's, um, is that with the, uh, uh what is it? Uh, what do you call it? Yeah, uh, the it's hammock. a hammock. It's yeah, not those the, like cloths that people hang, so it's you know, the same like Cirque du Soleil stuff. <laughs> it's the same it's the same type of material, the same type of cloth. It's just in a U-shaped hammock form. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got that trapeze on the boat. You guys still got to work on that. Too. <laughs> but yeah, I love, I love all forms of yoga. I think it's such a beautiful practice, but uh, I, you know, I, in particular, I love aerial yoga and sup yoga and it's, everyone's always like, Oh, I don't think I can do either of those. It looks so challenging. Well, it's made for all bodies. There's so many modifications and it's a lot more accessible than people think. So I encourage you to try both of them if you haven't already. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. What um, What's your next adventure? Where are you going to travel to next? Do you have anything planned? Our next, well, I have some travel for work coming up, but the next big one is our wedding, which is in Salzburg, Austria. Wow. Sound of music uh, wedding. <laughs> Yes, it's actually, uh, we have our church in Salzburg, and then our reception will be at uh, what they call the Sound of Music Castles, uh, Schloss Leopoldskron. <laughs> so yeah, we're really excited. We've, we picked it because we knew the wedding was going to be in December. We knew it wasn't going to be in California. So we thought about Europe, what would be good in the winter time. There's the Christmas markets, world-renowned skiing and snowboarding. And then you have Mozart, the home of Sound of Music. And 
it just fit all of our criteria. Yeah, I'm surprised you went there and not to Amsterdam where all your Dutch friends could come. Well, actually, so we wanted to get married in a, in a Catholic church and Amsterdam is Protestant. The south mm. of the country is Catholic, um, but the north is Protestant. And I did think about Amsterdam, but we ended up deciding not to do Michigan, Ohio, or Amsterdam because it seemed to favor one of us. <laughs> right. I know it's, it's, I mean, go to Indiana, like, <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> go, go Valparaiso, split the difference <laughs> that everybody can go. There you go. <laughs> but yes, well, it'll be a small intimate wedding, but we have people from all over the world coming. <laughs> I like this. Should we go to Salzburg or Fort Wayne? Then maybe we can, <laughs> that's more, it's a neutral ground here. Um, yep. well, no, that'll be beautiful. That'll be beautiful. Um, are you a sound of music fan? Oh yes. Oh, okay. Yes. It's I hope and, your family is because they're gonna get a face full of it when they go to Salzburg. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Both of our moms, it's their favorite movies and favorite movie, and we're we're really excited. Yeah. Is it safe to say those are one of your favorite things? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that day, <laughs> woo! Professional. I'm a professional. You'll be uh, here all day. <laughs> yeah. So you'll be there in December. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's good. Is there a honeymoon plan? Are you going to stay there? We're going to stay while? there. And okay. that's what that's what we're figuring out now is I know we're going to do some skiing and snowboarding after. And then now we're just trying to figure out where we're going to spend uh, after Christmas and for New Year's before flying back home. So it's okay. all kind of wrapped into one. Well, that'd be fun. That'd be really fun. Well, hopefully there'll be snow. You know, you worry so these too. days about the amount of snowfall and, you know. Yeah. Have you been goes. to Salzburg? You've been to Salzburg. Right? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I did the salt mine tour. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that. In Verifin, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember there was like you could either do the Sound of Music tour or the or the salt mine tour. I mean, you could do both. But at the time, I had no <laughs> money, so I had to pick one. <laughs> so I just went with. The salt mine tour. I was never a big sound of music fan. So, um, but now I will kind of wish That's I right. had just to say I did it. I won't hold it against you. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll wait for my wedding invitation. It sounds good. <laughs> okay. Um, so are you working on, going to work on another book or are your uh, authoring days over? Well, I've left it open. So if if you do look up the book, you'll notice it says Amsterdam edition. I have left <laughs> it open for other cities or stories around the world. So we'll see. Okay. But no big boat journeys uh, coming up for you? Nope. Nope. Right. Not, not right now. Focusing on work travel, the wedding, and, you know, next year there's, we're already like looking at, you know, Alec will probably be doing the Cabo race and Transpac, hopefully, if everything goes according to plan. And um, so there's there's lots of adventures on the horizon. It's just figuring out where to next. Like we might go to Tahiti. I want to do another technical climb. So, uh, well, originally we were going to talk about doing Elbrus, but Russia is a little bit off uh, yeah. the table right now. Yeah, so. yeah I get it. <laughs> well, there's yeah. a lot of mountains out there. There's a lot of mountains to climb, a lot of seas to sail. A yeah, it's a big world. We it's a big world. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I got to meet you and uh, stay uh, stay healthy, please, for sure. And congratulations on your on your wedding and everything else. It's a big year Thank for you. you. Thank you. Yes, I hope you stay healthy as well. I feel like uh, you know that's all we can do is just keep living life, but staying healthy and safe. Yeah. And uh, tell people where they can find you on social media and follow along on your adventures and everything else. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two channels I post to you most. Uh, Twitter is Jay Lepowski and Instagram is Jay Lepowski one. Someone else had taken Jay Lepowski. It's all right. How could that be? <laughs> How could there be two? That's what I said. <laughs> But I'll, uh, I'll I'll share those links with you. Okay, but, great. And can people still uh, buy the book? Uh, yes, people can still buy the book. Uh, you'll find it easiest via Kindle. But if you want a print copy, I recommend reaching out to me directly. Um, just international logistics uh, and distribution. It's easiest to contact me directly. 
for okay. a print copy. Oh, great. Great. Well, I appreciate you doing this and uh, it's great to meet you. I am very grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. It's what a great conversation. I'm so glad we um, we've met here at a travel massive event and yeah. we're able to connect. Yeah, it was uh, hopefully. And then when I ride my bike around the marina, I'll, try, I'll look for your boat. You have to it tell me where good. it is and I'll I'll go by and say hi. It sounds good. <laughs> All right. Jessica Lepowski, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.